Before we begin, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we just sung, how firm a foundation is um, your excellent word. We thank you for your word. For apart from your word, we would not know who you are. Even though you revealed yourself in creation and it's undeniable to all of us as we look around us to see your power and authority on display through your wondrous works in creation, apart from your special revelation through your word, none of us would be saved. We thank you for revealing yourself to us, a holy God to sinful man, that we may know you through your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us to honor you as we honor your word, to live according to it as we follow your Son, Jesus Christ. And may all the worship go to you and all the glory go to you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. This is an uh, introduction to Psalm 119. Um, one crucial mark of genuine Christianity is the relationship a person has to God's authoritative and sufficient standard of truth and righteousness, which is found in his word. Therefore, one of the most revealing tests of the authenticity of someone's faith is their relationship to the word of God. Do they treat it as the authoritative guide for their life? or as an obstacle to get around in order to live their life. So the question for us is, what is your ultimate guide in life? What is your ultimate guide in life? Is it how you were raised, what your parents said, and how they raised you, that's how you live your life? Is it the culture you live in? Is it what you see and hear on social media? Is it whatever government you're under and what they are mandating? Is that how you live your life? Is it what the schools are teaching? Is it what the advertisements and entertainments are communicating? Is it your feelings and emotions? What influences your direction and impacts your desires? And is it just as simple as what will make me happy? I want us to consider who God is and why he has revealed himself in his word and who we are in light of that. Yes, it all points to God's glory as he's our creator, But what does that mean and what does that look like? The word of God is always under attack. And why is that? The authority and sufficiency of scripture is constantly undermined and disregarded. The claims of scripture are viewed as irrelevant, unloving, and hateful. You would expect that from those who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, Romans 1.18. But what about Christians who don't necessarily attack the word of God, but neglect it in their daily lives? the very word that claims to be the only sufficient source and supplier of spiritual sustenance for our spiritual growth and maturity as we live in this world. Second Corinthians 3.5 says, Our sufficiency is from God. Second Corinthians 9.8 says, And God is able to make every grace abound to you, so that in everything, at every time, having every sufficiency, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Our sufficiency is not from men nor from human wisdom, nor from human resources. That means our capability for living life in God's plan and for God's glory is from him. In other words, because we are Christians, we live in an environment in which the resources for life are divine. We live in a sphere which human wisdom cannot feed. The resources God gives to us come through the spirit of God by the word of God. 
When Jesus prayed for the sanctification of believers, he said this to his father in John 17, 17. Sanctify them by your truth because your word is truth. Our lives depend upon the God of the word and the word of God. God dispenses his wisdom to us by his spirit, revealing his teaching in the word of God. And so all that pertains to life and godliness for a believer is bound up in the scriptures. Spiritual growth, spiritual maturity, spiritual strength, moving towards Christ-likeness is all tied to the work of the Spirit through the Word of God. When it comes to matters of spiritual life, all we need to know is revealed in the Word of the living God and ministered to us by the Spirit through that Word. We are not lacking anything. So where does a believer go to find joy? To find relief? to find happiness and deliverance from sorrow, anxiety, fear, and depression. Well, the testimony of the psalmist is that it's the word of God that rejoices the heart. And Psalm 19, verse 7 says, The law of Yahweh is perfect. The word perfect not only implies and refers to the purity of Scripture, the trustworthiness of Scripture, but also the sufficiency of Scripture. The law of Yahweh is perfect, meaning it lacks nothing. There's nothing you need to live your Christian life that you cannot find in the Bible. Everything that is needed to know the revealed will of God and to do the work of God is contained in God's word. This doesn't mean that the Bible is going to tell you exactly who to marry, but what kind of guy or girl you should marry. It doesn't tell you where to live or what job to take, but it gives you principles and guidelines and commandments to live wisely and discerningly in how to honor and please the Lord in every area of life. What we need in a sin-cursed and shaky world is a sure foundation. And that sure foundation is a revelation of God given to us in his word. We must have confidence in the word of God and what it does. And therefore, we must immerse and saturate ourselves in the word of God to know his will and to live as he is intended for us to live. That will lead to true blessedness. That will lead to true blessedness. And what does this have to do with the Psalms? God has given us the Psalms to form our hearts. God has given us the Psalms to form our hearts, which in turn lead us on the path of true blessedness. In Psalm 119, the word of God is exalted so that we would be those who commit our lives to the word and are blessed. We will consider this in two parts. First, intro to the Psalms, the entirety of the Psalter, and then intro to Psalm 119. We want to first understand the book of Psalms and then narrow it, narrow in on Psalm 119. So first intro to the Psalms. The Psalms are a theological songbook, a book of praise or worship. It's a book that reveals God and praises God. In other words, it's a book about God. We can often view the Psalms as an emotional pick-me-up, which it does, but we can approach it self-centeredly as we look for ourselves in the Psalms rather than look for God. God inspired the Psalter to shape our entire life, mind, heart, and conduct. But that doesn't begin nor end by looking at ourselves. The book is arranged to portray the goal of praising the Lord in the midst of enemies around us and the sin that is within us. In the Psalms, praise is the expected outcome, but meditation is the underlying activity which we are to undertake in. And just as we approach other portions of Scripture to confirm or instruct us to form our understanding of theology and to form our behavior, the same should be true with the Psalms. 
Paul said in Romans 15, verse 4, for whatever was written in earlier times, it was written for our instruction. And then he quotes from Deuteronomy 15.10, from the law. Then Isaiah 15.12, from the prophets. Then Psalm 15.9 and 11, from the Psalms. God gave us the Psalms to form us, to instruct us. Typically, we tend to use prayer and song, which is the book of Psalms. It's a book of prayers and song. We tend to use prayer and song to express what is already in our hearts. But the biblical model is that prayer and song are meant to form our hearts. In other words, it's been said, quote, we sing these inspired songs to create consciousness of who and what we are rather than as expressions of consciousness already there, close quote. God intends these songs to shape and form who we are as his people. God has given us the Psalms not merely to find a mood that fits our present state of being, but rather God has given us the Psalms again to form us, to form us. Affections for God don't grow when we focus on ourselves. Affections grow when we focus on God and the object of our faith, Jesus Christ. This is the benefit and blessing of the Psalms. That is why the Psalms are always relevant, why the Psalms are always enriching and edifying, why the Psalms are always instructive and instrumental in the formation of our hearts and thus our praise and worship of God. The book of Psalms is composed of five sections or five books. Psalms 1 through 41 is book 1. Book 2 is Psalm 42 to 72. Book 3 is 73 to 89. Book 4 is 90 to 106. And book 5 is 107 to 150. And each of these sections ends with praise. Psalm 41 verse 13. Blessed be Yahweh, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. Psalm 72 18 and 19, end of book 2. Blessed be Yahweh, the God of Israel, who alone works wondrous deeds. Blessed by his glorious name forever, and many the many the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. End of book 3, Psalm 89, verse 52. Blessed be Yahweh forever. Amen and amen. End of book 4, Psalm 106, 48. Blessed be Yahweh, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say amen, praise Yah, which is God's shortened name. And Psalm 145, verse 21, before the final hallel, the final five psalms of the Psalter, 146 through 150, it says, My mouth will speak the praise of Yahweh, and all flesh will bless his holy name forever and ever. In the very last verse, 150, verse 6, Let everything that has breath praise Yah, praise Yah. Psalms is a book of praise and worship of our great King. And Psalms 1 and 2 serve as the doors or the gates that lead and prepares the reader for entering the book of Psalms as a whole. Psalm 1 is about the way of the blessed man in contrast to the way of the wicked man. Psalm 2 is about the rule and reign of the Messiah as King. It's about the second coming of Jesus. This is a theme that we find throughout Scripture. We see it in the creation account in Genesis. We even see it in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. It begins with Beatitudes, the blessedness of those who live in light of and belong to the kingdom of God. Psalm 1 and 2 function as an introduction, a prelude of sorts, to what has been called a five-movement cantata. The first word of Psalm 1 captures the intended purpose of the book of Psalms, blessedness. The first word, blessed, in Psalm 1, is a key word that runs through the Psalter from beginning to end. And to be blessed literally means a state of well-being. A state of well-being to flourish, to prosper, to be happy. 
In reality, this is what all people desire. Everyone wants to prosper. Everyone wants to be happy. Everyone wants a state of well-being. Martin Luther said, quote, The search for personal blessedness is common to all men. There is no one who does not desire to fare well or hate to fare badly. Spurgeon has said it is an old saying and possibly a true one that every man is seeking after happiness. And recently it's been estimated that 27,000 people per month search online how to be happy. How to be happy. Yet, blessedness is not, as the word happiness might connote today, merely a feeling. When the Bible tells us that someone is blessed, it's not telling us what they feel, but what they are, who they are. Happiness is a subjective state. Blessedness is an objective state. And blessedness only comes from God. Blessedness only comes from God. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, so that they will have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that creeps on the earth. Genesis 1.28 says, God blessed them. God blessed them. God as creator gave to mankind whom he created all of for all for <clears throat> all of creation for them to enjoy and to have dominion over as his vice regents as a blessing to them. But he commands them in Genesis 2 verse 17, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat from it, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. In other words, God promises blessing to mankind under his rule. Therefore, blessing comes, as the Psalms portray, only for those who submit to God as king. And this that is what we see in the first two Psalms as well. To be blessed is to realize God's initial intent for mankind to flourish in submission to him and to have dominion over the rest of creation as his representatives. But the reality of sin prevents man from ruling as God intended in his blessing of Genesis 1.28. Therefore, in Genesis 3.15, God promises to one day raise up a seed of the woman who will exercise that dominion that Adam failed to accomplish so that through him we would experience the fullness of the kind of blessing God promised for mankind. Both of these passages, Genesis 1.28 and Genesis 3.15, and their underlying promises of blessing by exercising dominion through the seed of the woman are key in understanding the progression of thought through the Psalms and ultimately the nature of of true blessedness. And so the introductory psalm helps us to understand how to attain this blessedness. Psalm 1, verse 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of Yahweh, and in his law he meditates day and night. The psalm is going to tell us the way to blessedness, the way to a state of well-being. And Psalm 1 introduces the fact that the entire Psalter is designed to unfold the only way to true blessedness. We live in a fallen, sin-cursed world, and we ourselves are sinful. The wicked are everywhere, and it seems like they're prospering. The book of Psalms is structured to portray that. 
because it is an unavoidable reality for those desiring to pursue the kind of true blessedness that God promised. And so we should not be surprised when wicked people do wicked things around us. This focus in the Psalms and speaking about the ungodly is intentional and deliberate. And so we can't be naive in thinking that if we choose the righteous path, then everything will be without trouble or without adversity. The Psalms are for us to know how to be blessed, how to be blessed in the midst of wickedness and difficulty. God doesn't want us to escape from reality or to ignore it. He wants us to be blessed through that reality. He wants us to praise him as he forms our hearts and our behavior as we live in this world and submit ourselves to his will and to his word. This is the difference between the righteous and the wicked. The difference between a righteous person and a wicked person is not that a righteous person wants to prosper and a wicked person doesn't. All people want to prosper. The Psalms use this language to describe anyone who does not submit to God and live like God is in control. The very nature of wickedness and the very nature of wicked counsel is that the wicked conceive of blessedness and prosperity as a life apart from any acknowledgement, submission, or obedience to God. They disregard God. They don't need God at all. C.S. Lewis has rightly stated, when we want to be something other than the thing God wants us to be, we must be wanting what, in fact, will not make us happy. In Psalm 2, verse 12, the ending of these introductory psalms ends with, how blessed are all who take refuge in him. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. And here is the fundamental truth that you will find over and over in the book of Psalms. Take refuge in him because he is the source of true blessedness and the one that will provide safety and comfort and protection and deliverance in the midst of a fallen world. And there are different types of Psalms as well that we find in the Psalter, one of which are called Torah Psalms. Psalm 1, Psalm 19, and Psalm 119 are called Torah Psalms. Torah meaning instruction or law. It refers to direction and that which gives guidance. In other words, it provides divine instruction for life. Divine instruction for life. The truly blessed person, the Psalms teach us, will not allow his conception of blessedness to be shaped or influenced by the counsel of the wicked or the ungodly. Rather, his delight, what will shape and form his path, is the law, is the Torah of Yahweh. Psalm 1 verse 2. The law which reveals and reflects the nature and character of God and ultimately points to his son, Jesus Christ. The term Torah is found 36 times in the book of Psalms. 26 of those are found in just two Psalms, Psalm 19 and Psalm 119. And if you turn to Psalm 19 quickly, you'll see that in Psalm 19, verses 7 through 9, David lists six characteristics of special revelation. Six characteristics of special revelation. It's perfect, it's sure, it's right, it's pure, it's clean, and true. David also lists six benefits of special revelation. It restores the soul, makes wise the simple, rejoices the heart, enlightens the eyes, endures forever, and produces righteousness. He stacks on layers of six terms with six characteristics and six benefits to communicate the perfect comprehensiveness of God's law. In other words, God's word is all-encompassing. It is sufficient and perfect. God's word is not only sufficient, but is powerful to transform us. The Holy Spirit of God inspired this revelation, so and so the Holy Spirit of God will sanctify us through the very revelation he inspired. God's special revelation contains everything we need 
pertaining to life and godliness, the source, the power, and the means. So the blessed man, Psalm 1 teaches, will delight in the law of Yahweh. He will meditate on it day and night. He will recognize the authority and sufficiency of God's word so that he is transformed into God's image from glory to glory, 2 Corinthians 3.18. Our path, our way, our lives are driven by whatever we allow to shape our image of what it means to be blessed, what it means to be prosperous, what it means to be happy. But it is only submission to God and his word that will lead to true blessedness. It is only submission to God and submission to his word that will lead to true blessedness. Again, God has given us the Psalms to form our hearts, which in turn lead us on the path of true blessedness. Now, that's a quick summary of the Psalms, and there's much more that could be said, but we'll move on to the intro to Psalm 119. Intro to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verses 1 and 2 you see the word blessed again. Blessed, this is the first Hebrew word in these two verses. The same word that begins Psalm 1, verse 1. It is the word of God in the believer's life that produces the life of blessing. Psalm 119 is also the longest chapter in all of Scripture. And it's on the topic of the word of God. It's on the topic of the word of God. Almost entirely of the 176 verses speak specifically of the ministry of the word in your life. This affirms the sufficiency of God's word, not only in Psalm 119, but for all of Scripture. Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be equipped, having been thoroughly equipped for every good work. And in this Psalm, Yahweh appears 24 times, God only once. However, your, capital Y, your, occurs 211 times. In other words, God himself is the central theme of the psalm. The God of the word and the word of God. This psalm contains 22 stanzas of eight verses, totaling, again, 176 verses. And for each verse, there are two lines, an A line and a B line. Also, all eight verses of the first stanza, if you look at the first stanza, the first eight verses, begin with Aleph, the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. All eight verses of the second stanza begin with Beth, the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet. In other words, this is an acrostic or alphabetical psalm. It aids in memorization and contains the whole alphabet from beginning to end, signifying the importance and necessity of the Word of God for the entirety of our lives. This is the sufficiency of the Word of God for all of life, beginning to end. Just as the sufficiency of the word of God for all of life from beginning to end is found in Genesis to Revelation and from creation to new creation of the new heaven and new earth. What we will learn from these 22 stanzas are 22 tragedies or 22 dangers that result from neglecting God's word. What we'll see in the next 22 weeks are 22 tragedies or dangers that result from neglecting God's word, or on the flip side of that, 22 blessings, 22 promises that come to those who commit and devote their lives to the word of God. And I'll give a quick summary of each stanza, and so follow along in your Bibles. Verse 1, the first stanza, verse 1. 
How blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of Yahweh. If you neglect the word of God, you are casting aside blessing in your life. It says, how blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk, who live their lives according to the law of Yahweh. If you neglect the word of God, you are casting aside blessing in your life. Second stanza, verses 9 through 11. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me stray from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. If you neglect the word of God, you are casting aside purity. If you neglect the word of God, you are casting aside purity in your life. Third stanza, verse 23 and 24. Even though princes sit and talk against me, your slave muses on your statutes. Your testimonies are, your testimonies also are my delight. They are my counselors. If you neglect the word of God, you're casting aside wisdom. If you neglect the word of God, you're casting aside wisdom. Fourth stanza, verse 25 and 28. My soul clings to the dust. Revive me according to your word. In verse 28, my soul weeps because of grief. Raise me up according to your word. If you neglect the word of God, you're casting aside strength. A strength that only God can provide. Fifth stanza, verse 34 and 35. Cause me to understand that I may observe your law and keep it with all my heart. Cause me to walk in the path of your commandments. If you neglect the word of God, you're casting aside joy. If you neglect the word of God, you are casting aside joy. Next stanza, verse 41. May your loving kindness also come to me, O Yahweh, your salvation according to your word. If you neglect the word of God, you are casting aside an understanding of God's love, a deeper understanding of God's love. Stanza 7, verses 49 and 50. Remember the word of your slave in which you have made me wait. This is my comfort in my affliction that your word has revived me. If you neglect the word of God, you're casting aside hope. If you neglect the word of God, you're casting aside hope that only comes from God. Stanza 8, verse 58. I have sought to please your face with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your word. If you neglect the word of God, you're casting aside favor from God. You're casting aside favor from God. Stanza 9, verse 65 and 66. You have dealt well with your slave, O Yahweh, according to your word. Teach me good discernment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. If you neglect the word of God, you're casting aside discernment. You're casting aside discernment. Stanza 10, verse 74 and 79. May those who fear you see me and be glad, because I wait for your word. May those who fear you turn to me and those who know your testimonies. If you neglect the word of God, you're casting aside influence for the kingdom of God. You're casting aside influence for the kingdom of God. Stanza 11, verse 81 and 82 and 88. My soul fails with longing for your salvation. I wait for your word. My eyes fail with longing for your word, saying, when will you comfort me? In verse 88. Revive me according to your loving kindness so that I may keep the testimony of your mouth. 
If you neglect the word of God, you're casting aside comfort. You're casting aside comfort. Stanza 12, verse 92. If your law had not been my delight, then I would have perished in my affliction. If you neglect the word of God, you're casting aside life itself. If you neglect the word of God, you're casting aside life itself. Stanza 13, verses 101 through 103. I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. I have not turned aside from your judgments, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet is your word to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. If you neglect the word of God, you're casting aside obedience. If you neglect the word of God, you're casting aside obedience. Stanza 14, verse 105 and 110. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I have not wandered from your precepts. If you neglect the word of God, you're casting aside illumination. You're walking in the dark. 15 stanza, verse 120. My flesh quakes for dread of you, and I'm afraid of your judgments. If you neglect the word of God, you're casting aside the fear of God. The fear of God. Stanza 16, verse 128. Therefore, I deem all your precepts concerning everything to be right. I hate every false way. If you neglect the word of God, you're casting aside truth. You're casting aside truth. Stanza 17, verse 133. Establish my steps in your word and do not let any wickedness overpower me. If you neglect the word of God, you're casting aside conviction. Conviction. Stanza 18, verses 139 and 140. My zeal has consumed me because my adversaries have forgotten your words. Your word is exceedingly refined, therefore your slave loves it. If you neglect the word of God, you're casting aside passion. Passion and zeal. Stanza 19, verses 147 and 148 and 151. I eagerly greet the dawn of and cry for help. I wait for your words. My eyes eagerly greet the night watches that I may muse on your word. Near are you, O Yahweh, and all your commandments are truth. If you neglect the word of God, you're casting aside intimacy with God. If you neglect the word of God, you're casting aside intimacy with God. Stanza 20, verse 155. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. If you neglect the word of God, you're casting aside salvation, referring to progressive sanctification. Stanza 21, verse 162 and 164. I rejoice at your word as one who finds much spoil. 164. Seven times a day I praise you because of your righteous judgments. If you neglect the word of God, you're casting aside praise. If you neglect the word of God, you're casting aside praise and worship. And the last stanza, stanza 22, verses 170, 173, and 176. Let my supplication come before you. Deliver me according to your word. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I've chosen your precepts. I've wandered off like a lost sheep, searched for your slave, for I've forgotten your commandments. 
If you neglect the Word of God, you're casting aside answers to prayer. If you neglect the Word of God, you're casting aside answers to your prayers. And for all of these, you can look at the flip side as well. The more positive side, you can say, 22 blessings or promises that come to those who commit and devote their lives to the Word of God. If you commit and devote yourself to the Word of God, these are the blessings and promises that come to you through the Word of God, from God, the source of those blessings. Blessing in your life, purity, wisdom, strength, joy, a deeper understanding of God's love, hope, favor, discernment, influence for the kingdom of God, comfort, life, obedience, illumination, the fear of God, truth, conviction, passion, intimacy with God, sanctification, praise and worship, answers to prayer. Don't you want to live a life devoted to God and his word? It's the only path to true blessedness, and he has given it to us, his people. Do not neglect it. And all of these things, again, only God can provide. You don't need to look anywhere else. You don't need to listen to the news or social media. Go to God. Go to his divine revelation. He is the source and supplier. And he does so through his living and active, all-powerful, all-sufficient word as we avail ourselves and place ourselves in the blessed path of obedience to his holy word. John MacArthur said, quote, The clear word of Scripture is that your sanctification is directly related to your pursuit of the knowledge of Christ in all his glory. Close quote. And the psalmist often speaks of several responses that he had toward God and his word. This word that forms our hearts as we pray them, as we sing them, as we delight in them, as we meditate upon them. We see five responses that the psalmist has as we'll see throughout our study. First one is delight. He delights in the law of Yahweh. He meditates upon it day and night, all the time. He thinks about God's word and how to honor God through his obedience to him. You also see love, a response of love. When you look to God in his word, that grows your affections for God. And so it produces greater love for him. You also see obedience, which is tied to love. How do we love God? We obey God. That's how we worship him. We also see meditation. He meditates day and night. He dwells upon the word. He talks to himself about the word of God, which is what meditates means. It means to murmur to oneself, to talk to oneself. Not because you're crazy, because you're reminding your heart and soul of the encouragements and comfort that are found in the word of God. God is good. God is faithful. He is with me. He's great. Talk to yourself about God. That's meditation. But you can only do that if the word of God has been poured into your heart as you meditate upon it. Another response we see from the psalmist, or that we will see constantly throughout Psalm 119, is rejoicing. Rejoicing. Happiness, blessedness, rejoicing. So the word of God is life-giving. It's life-transforming. It's life-encouraging. And it provides life-lasting blessing and benefit. So we are to live according to God's authoritative and sufficient word. The word of God is the primary means of grace for perseverance and spiritual growth to live a blessed life. 1 Peter 2.2 Like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word 
And I've been constantly reminded of this lately because of Luke. He cries when he wants milk so that we know that he's longing for more milk. He needs to be fed to live like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word so that by it, by what? By the pure milk of the word, you may grow in respect to salvation, to sanctification. In John seventeen seventeen again, the people of God are sanctified by the word of God. If you're a Christian, you depend upon the word of God. And therefore, God's word requires that everyone be a theologian. God's word requires that everyone be a theologian. Theology is two words put together. Theos, which is God, and logia, which is word. It means words about God. Theology is a study of God's word. We are to give ourselves to the study of God's word as God's people. Meditate upon it. Dwell on it. Renew our minds by it. Acquire it. Keep it. Treasure it. Delight in it. Observe it. Learn it. How does this relate to our daily Bible reading? How much we look to God's word for counsel rather than the counsel of the wicked around us. Are you reading your Bibles? We are to be doctrinally informed, theologically minded Christians. But we have to keep in mind that it's not our Bible reading plan that will sanctify us. It's the Holy Spirit who does that. Make sure your heart is right. And the Psalms will help us form our hearts that will lead to greater affections and praise and worship of God. But your discipline of reading the Bible places you in the path of direct blessing. So even if you don't feel like it, start reading it slowly, little bits at a time, praying to God for his spirit to change your heart, to love his law, to delight in it, to rejoice in it, to keep it, to observe it. So how do you view God and how do you view his word? Is it something that you view as necessary or just optional? Only for the pastors and teachers are you going to teach a Sunday school lesson. Then you need the word. When the Bible speaks, God speaks to every one of us, not just to some, all of us. And God's word reveals to us his will for us, those whom he created in his image, to bear and reflect him in this world. It is our only guide in life, the scriptures, the word of God, and he has given it to us. Augustine once said, without God, what am I but a guide to my own destruction? B.B. Warfield has said, the Bible was not to be studied once for all and then neglected. It must be the Christian's constant companion throughout life. Just like for the Christian, it's not a one-time repentance and faith. It's a constant life of repenting and demonstrating faith in Christ. And that requires obedience to his word. Obedience is how we love and worship God. So how can someone say, I want to grow, I want to be like Jesus, but they don't go to their primary means of grace and source of spiritual strength and sustenance, the word of God? They don't read it, they don't study it, they don't meditate on it, they don't delight in it, they don't pray it, they don't apply it. 
but they want to grow. For the psalmist, his comfort, his prized possession, his rule of life and in life, and his resource for strength and hope, all of which drove him to desire it more, was found in the Word of God. It was found in the Word of God where he beheld more of the God of the Word. And so it is for us. In the beginning, the eternally existing God created the heavens and the earth. This is God's creation, his rules, his standard, his truth. We are his creatures, created in the image of God, male and female only. He created us to worship and to glorify him as his representatives. And he has laid out what we are to do and how we are to do it and why we are to do it. He's not only divinely revealed himself to man, but has required man to do his will so that he would be glorified and that man would be blessed. And the path that leads to blessing is only found in the word, in the word, the incarnate word, Jesus Christ, and the word of God, the inspired word of God, the Bible. It is the word of God that reveals God to us. It is the word of God that tells us how everything began and where everything is headed. It is the word of God that rightly informs us about everything in life down to our hearts. It tells us who we are and why we are here. It tells us why things are the way they are. It tells us why there's suffering, why there's evil, why there's death. It tells us why we need to be saved. It tells us the only person who can save us. It also tells us how to truly live life with lasting joy, lasting peace, lasting comfort, lasting encouragement, and eternal hope. Jesus says in John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He says in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And he says in John sixteen thirty three, In me, in me you may have peace. The only way to true blessedness is through Jesus Christ and obedience to the word of God. The only way to true blessedness is through Jesus Christ and obedience to his word. This is what your sovereign creator, God, has said. Is Jesus Christ your Lord? Do you live according to the word of God? In the weeks to come, we'll study and meditate on the tragedies, dangers that result from neglecting God's word in our life but also look at the blessings and the promises that come to those who commit and devote their lives to the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Psalm 119, divine instruction for life. It clearly lays out for us the blessed path. It comes through obedience to your word and trust in your son, Jesus Christ. Father, help our hearts to grow with greater affections for you so that we may delight in doing your will. Father, if we're struggling to obey you, if we're struggling to look to your word, to study it, to meditate upon it, 
Father, sanctify us by your truth. Help us to confess our sins, to look to you, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to even see the grace of your forgiveness that would motivate us and drive us by your grace to live for you, to trust in you, to do your will in this world in the midst of a fallen world, to know that we have the only guide that we need in life, that it's authoritative and binding upon us, that we will give an account for how we have lived our lives. And that is sufficient, is everything that we need. It's contained in your word. We need not look anywhere else. And I pray that these truths would help us to encourage those around us by pointing them to your son and to your word. May we go out, as we've been called to do as your church, to proclaim who your son is and that there is truth in this world and that you are truth. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.